The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well today. Um, we're going to be in uh, John chapters 2, 3, and 4 uh, in part 2 of our series, Three Years That Changed the World. And so you can go ahead and turn there if you've got a Bible with you. We will have it on screen. Before I get to that, though, um, I want to mention that in our series, How to Study the Bible, one of the things we talked about was finding a great translation. Um, obviously, we had like King James, New International Version, uh, New Living Translation, all that kind of stuff. But there's one that I missed, and somebody uh, sent me a little gift in the mail, and this is uh, the Gospel by Gen Z. And so I wanted to offer this to you for some of you that are maybe along the, the, the younger portion of our population here and um, just give you a little sampling of it because I just think it's really going to impact you in, in a big way. So here's just a little bit of what it says. And this is just the very opening. So um, here we go. It says, God made Adam and Eve, same kind, different font in the image and likeness of his own PFP and said, what's up, my mammals? Go forth and vibe in this Minecraft paradise I seeded. Um, you may take any W except for the trees of, tree of W's and L's. From then you will have W's, but also L's. While Fam was living their best life, the op of ops woke up and chose violence. Uh, he slid into Eve's DMs with that sneaky riz and even let him cook, though he had not the ingredients. And so just a little sampling. That was a joke, by the way, for some of you that are like, what? <laughs> Anyways, just lighten up, okay? It was meant to make you laugh a little bit. But also help Gen Z. So, okay, um, we're going to be in John chapter 2. I will be reading out of the New International Version for the record as we get to Scripture today. But um, I thought Evan did a great job last week introducing our series. Uh, and we're taking on the Gospel of John. And what's behind that in particular is because during the Q&A a couple of weeks back, one of the questions was, if you're not familiar with the Bible a whole lot, where would you begin? And really, it's pretty unanimous that we said, start with the Gospel of John. And so uh, we're going to get to that. But again, Evan did a great job. He wrote a book. If you're not familiar, uh, he is a published author. And here's the cover. It's Suffer Suffering and Silence. Talks about Job's struggle, God's uh, voice, and our response. So if you ever want to go deeper on the book of Job, encourage you to pick that up. Pretty sure it's on Amazon. Uh, it's uh, not quite on the New York Times bestseller list, but I'm sure it's well um, on its way. And uh, hey, he wrote a book I haven't yet, so I'm proud of him for that. But uh, as we get into, like I said, John 2, 3, and 4, this is the disciple John. In a few moments from now, I'm going to talk about John the Baptist. That's a different individual, and so we'll talk about that. But, but John wrote the Gospel of John. John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and also Revelation as he was exiled to an island out of persecution for his faith. And so I, I want to fast forward for a second. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. In John 20, verse 31, the why behind the writing of this Gospel John says, but these are written that you may believe. Everybody say the word believe. believe. It says that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so it's imperative to understand that John is writing down his experiences so that others could know the importance of what happened during his lifetime. So, so that's why we're jumping into it. And as you get into chapter two, we're just going to go ahead and dive in. But let me pray first and then we'll get there. God, thank you for the living scriptures. Thank you for the story as John writes it down as we look at chapter two. And I pray for all of us to have wide open hearts. Again, for those of us sitting in the room today, some that are viewing online, that your spirit would work in amazing ways enlivening, stirring a hunger in every one of us for the truth and the power of believing in this message, in Jesus' name, amen. 
It says, on the third day, this is John chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Now, just so you understand, contextually, Jesus is not being disrespectful. It's how we translate this, that it sounds like he's like, woman, and that's not what he's doing. So to be clear, culturally, in reference, this is not Jesus looking down his nose at his own mom. Uh, so that's not what's going on here. He says, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So, he filled, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So over and over, and this is just the first story, but over and over, what John is going to say is, here's what happened, and this is why we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Here's what happened, and here's why we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So he's building this case through being an eyewitness of what Jesus did throughout his three years of ministry. And this story is no different. When you look at verse 11, it says this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his, his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, one of the things that John does, it's a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke because those are the four gospels, the four different accounts of Jesus' life that we have in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about these supernatural experiences and talk about this dunamis power that Jesus was able to use to perform these miracles. John uses a different phrase, and he says this miraculous sign. And there's a reason he says that. It's no different than you and I understanding the idea of a sign today. If you're on the road and you're driving and there's a sharp curve ahead, there's going to be a sign that will have arrows that show you you're about to go right. And it probably says like 20 miles an hour or something. It's a sign letting you know, here's what you need to do because of what's coming. It's a, you know, coming to a stop sign. You guys, we see it and we come to a complete stop. Well, I mean, none of us do, but we, we kind of stop and then we keep Going. But the idea, again, in general, is that this is something that's pointing to a purpose. This is something that, that takes us deeper into kind of the, the why behind the nature of God and, and this whole story. And so John says this miraculous sign is the first time Jesus in a group reveals his glory and his disciples believed. The next one comes up as they leave Cana and Galilee they head to another spot, and Jesus goes to the temple. And at the temple, there's some individuals there with tables set up, and they're called money changers. And Jesus sees what's going on, and it says he makes a whip out of cords, and he drives them out because he's indignant. He's angry about what's happening. 
and you've maybe read this story before, you've heard it before, but here's what's going on. When the average person would come to the temple, they were required to make a certain sacrifice for themselves or for their family for varying reasons. And what they would do if they didn't have things at home is they would purchase a dove, they would purchase pigeon, they would purchase an animal or whatever. But these money changers were inflating the price significantly in order to rip off the common people. And this is happening in the temple. So Jesus gets so upset over the manipulation that he drives them out and he says, this is my father's house and it is not to be made a den of robbers. And so he's indignant about it. Let me pause there for a second and let me just go into a little bit of application here. Here's something you might not know but is worth you understanding. No longer are you and I required to go to the temple. And there are different cities with different religious structures set up. And, and for Judaism, there's temples, different things. But here's Jesus at the temple and he drives people out. And, and, and basically the religious crowd goes, who does he think he is? And that's probably the Gen Z version of what the Bible says. But, but you know, they're basically, who does he think he is. And, and the reason I bring this up as such a big deal is because something to understand about the Grove Church, simple but this, when you walk in these double doors, the sign above it, anybody remember what it says? Auditorium. The reason it says, we've had people say, why doesn't it say sanctuary? Why? why? Because the idea of like a spiritual place where God's presence is dwelling and stuff like that. And the reason is because it's very intentional. I don't believe that Jesus shows up here in this place any more than he's willing to show up at your house. Any more than he's willing to show up when we do baptism over at Paul Anderson's last summer. Any more than he shows up when you're at work and you're praying in your car before you get out to go, Lord, help me to do a good job of my job today. That Jesus is there. And the reason I say it is because in the old covenant, God's presence was at the temple. But when Jesus paid the price on the cross, part of what happened was an earthquake and in the temple, something significant happened. Anybody remember what it was? The veil was ripped in two. And you go, well, what does that even mean? The veil was the difference between the common place and the, and the holy place and then also the holy of holies. The veil being torn was symbolism of no longer do you and I need someone else that represents us to go before God. You and I, because of what Jesus did, all of us have access to God in the same way. No longer do we have to go to a place and that's the holy place. Now, and Paul said it this way, you and I are the temple. And that's a big deal. And we take it for granted because we don't understand the old covenant law and the big idea of the temple and going there. But because you and I are the temple, can I ask you a simple application question? Is there anything in your life that being the temple of God, Jesus would show up and go, there's no room for that because that's robbing you of my design for your life. What is there in your life that you excuse as no big deal or that you know is compromise or that you entertain and enjoy and just go, well, it is what it is and I am who I am, that Jesus would show up at your temple and go, that doesn't belong here. I paid the price for that because you and I are the temple of the living God. So Jesus clears out the temple. He's indignant at the injustice, at the mess of sin that's happening right there. And the religious crowd, the religious leaders go, who does he think he is? And it says in particular, when you, when you look at um, chapter two, verses 
uh, 18, it says, the Jews responded, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Their response, uh, what? It's taken 46 years to build this building and you're gonna raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. In, uh, in verse, uh, verse 22, they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So at the, at the wedding supper where he turns water into wine, it says Jesus performed a miracle and the disciples believed. And then at the temple, Jesus drives out those that are twisted and full of sin and greed and the religious leaders go, who do you think you are? And Jesus says, destroy this temple. And he's not talking about the building, he's talking about himself. And they literally become indignant and it says the disciples recall later him talking about himself and they believed. Over and over and over, you're gonna find this in the story, and they believed. What happens next at the end of chapter two is that there's this little window into Jesus heading to the first Passover festival of the three as he's in ministry, doing ministry that he would be a part of. And it says they began to look for him and wonder about him and all this stuff. And he, he talks about this idea of you don't understand how wicked the human heart can be, how deceived humanity can become. So he talks about, John says they believed. They saw Jesus proved it, they believed. They saw Jesus proved it, they believed. Then, then John says the human heart is broken. The human heart is lost. And then a guy named Nicodemus shows up. And Nicodemus is a religious leader. He's part of the elite. And it says he shows up at nighttime and has this conversation with Jesus. Jesus, we believe that you're somebody. You're something special. I mean, you're doing works that no one else can really do. There's something about you. And Jesus says, unless you are born again, this is chapter three, verse three, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the problem is Nicodemus doesn't understand. And for many of us in the room, we've heard the phrase born again, born again and we understand what it means. But Nicodemus doesn't get it. So he literally goes like this, born again? I'm a full grown adult. How could I ever fit back in my mom's womb? It's like, you tell me there's not humor in scripture. I'm like, that's messed up. But that's what he does. I can't go back in there. It's not going to work. And Jesus literally goes, you're a leader in the nation of Israel, the religious system, and you don't understand this? And then you look at verse, the last part of verse 14 into verse 15. Jesus says, so the son of man, he tries to help Nicodemus understand, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who, everybody say believes, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So he tries to get Nicodemus to understand, again, believe, believe, mankind is broken and lost. You gotta be born again. How do you be born again? Believe in the son of man. He's lifted up and you'll have eternal life. Anybody ever watch the NBA or, uh, or the NFL in the 70s and 80s and notice a guy behind the backboard or in the end zone in the crowd holding a big sign with a rainbow wig? Anybody remember that person? How many of you guys? Anybody remember what was on the sign? John 3.16. And I remember it. I was younger, but I remember it. And if you look up John 3.16, here's what you would find out. At the core 
If somebody who's a mature believer, who's begun to understand scripture and, and get the whole picture of what this is, if, if you simply said, what is the, 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 the most core understanding in a basic sentence of what this whole thing is about? What is it? Most people would say, John 3.16. How many of you know what it says? Just raise your hands. Come on, John 3.16. Okay, a lot of us, not everybody, but a lot of us. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So John says to Nicodemus, or uh, I'm sorry, um, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you, you, you don't understand this? If you want eternal life, it's found in believing in the son of man. But then I love how what Jesus does is he reaches back into this, this God in heaven conversation. And it's imperative for you and I to understand it has everything to do with God's amazing love for us. That you go back to reading the gospels and at the end of every one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you find is Jesus on trial. And at the core of understanding this, it was not the religious leaders that had Jesus crucified. It was not the crowd that they swayed to yell crucify him that got Jesus crucified. It wasn't even Rome who somehow gave some secretive stamp of approval that allowed Jesus to be crucified. Why was Jesus crucified? For God so loved mankind. For God so loved you and me. For God cared so deeply about having a relationship with you and I that he refused to leave us stuck in sin. That he gave his only begotten. He gave his one and only son. That Jesus would go to the cross not because of religious leaders, not because of a manipulated crowd, not because of Rome, but at the end of the day because of you and me and the problem of sin. Because every one of us has that problem. Missing the mark of God's design. Missing the mark of walking perfectly. Missing the mark of doing everything exactly right, especially as it pertains to the old covenant law. None of us measures up. So Jesus went to the cross because of us. Yeah, there was a system that put him there. But at the core, it had to do with sin. And sin is a problem in all of our lives. And so the core of the message, and John is trying to paint the picture during the Q&A. Hey, what would the, be the first book you read? John, why? Because if you understand what John is trying to say, he's trying to help us understand you and I are broken and lost. Jesus did all kinds of incredible miracles and taught the crowds amazing things. But what it pointed to was you and I and the rest of humanity believing that a savior paid the price that you and I could be made right. For God so loved the world. And he goes on in, in, in verse 17, because they go together. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. That for you and I, let me just tell you something about why verse 17 is important. What happens among followers of Jesus sometimes is that we put our standard upon others that don't even have the same standard. And we expect certain behaviors, we expect certain beliefs, we expect certain ballot measures, we expect all this stuff in a world that doesn't believe the same thing. 
And the challenge of it is this. Paul would say in Romans chapter 3, it's the kindness of God that leads you and I to repentance. And so for you and I to take John 3, 16, God loves you like crazy, enough that Jesus went to the cross for you. And so as you go out into this world and you live among maybe your family that aren't part of church, live among your neighborhood or work or whatever it is that aren't part of church, what does it look like for you to operate with grace upon grace, with love upon love, with mercy upon mercy? Because that draws people into this amazing thing that we call the gospel. God loved us enough that Jesus went to the cross. He didn't come to condemn He came to save this world. And it's you and I and how we operate that's a reflection of God's amazing love in Christ. How's that reflection going? As the story continues, as we look at John, that's that's in chapter three, the first part of it. Nicodemus in this whole conversation. And then it says that that they have this conversation about baptism and Jesus goes out and they're baptizing in the the Jordan. and, and, And all of a sudden it says, well, Jesus wasn't baptizing, it was his disciples. And John the Baptist, not John the gospel writer, a different John the Baptist, is also baptizing along with his disciples. His disciples come to him, to John the Baptist, and go, hey, there's this guy, Jesus, and it looks like they're baptizing more people than we are. And John the Baptist is like, well, that's not okay. We got to baptize more people, so drag them over here. That's not what happens. Just, you're like, what Bible? Is that the Gen Z Bible again? What are you reading? Here's what I love about this story. Just to help us with perspective in the world that we live in. John the Baptist basically goes, who cares if they're baptizing more than we are? John the Baptist understood his role. And the best quote I can give you from John the Baptist, and there's many that are awesome, is simply this. John the Baptist says, I must decrease and he must increase. What does that look like for you? in a world where you need to get more followers and likes, in a world where you wish one of your videos would go viral, in a world where you would start a podcast and everybody would love you for it, in a world where you really want the accolades, in a world where what you need is some level of significance that says you are somebody and you are successful. What about the words from John the Baptist that can echo in our ears? I must decrease. I really want Jesus to increase. Would if that could be our prayer. Because here's the honest truth. You and I can be the star of our own show. You and I can figure out how to try to find significance in ourselves and in our talent or ability to make money or whatever it would be. And at the end of the day, we would be reminded that that's all for naught. See, I'm up here today and I'm wearing my Hallmark sweater. I walked in today, I have multiple people say, hey, it's your Hallmark sweater. And so here's what we've got going today. Later on after church, I've got my Hallmark Channel sweater on. And what we're going to do is we're going to record a movie. And the movie is me and I'm a pet store owner in a small town. And um, things are going okay. It's a little bit of a struggle, but my long lost girlfriend from high school comes to town. And she's cute and sweet. And we have some conversations at the local donut shop or coffee shop or whatever it is. And, and we, we kind of make each other laugh and rem- reminisce back but it turns out that she's got a really powerful boyfriend in the big city. And the big powerful boyfriend in the big city, his desire is to build a skyscraper right where my pet shop is. And I'm like, we can't have that. This is not okay. 
And I got my Hallmark Channel sweater on and we have a conversation and I make her laugh enough and pretty soon she dumps him and we get married and, and the pet store stays there and we live happily ever after and we're the star of our show. And her name's Heather, by the way. Now, obviously that's ridiculous. But anyway, you're like, you really feeling a movie? We're not, okay. Um, there's something about this thing in us that needs identity, that needs, I wanna be someone. But what we're challenged to do through the lens of faith in Christ is respond like John the Baptist. Hey, 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 it looks like more people are starting to get into Jesus. And instead of going, oh no, what does it look like for you and I to go, I must decrease. He needs to increase. What you and I are called to be are Christians. And that's a word that gets overused and played out in our world. But what it means is little Christs. In other words, representatives of Jesus to a world that maybe doesn't get it yet. That's what matters. I would rather play a supporting role in the story of Jesus than try to star in my own show. And that's where God wants us to be. And, and that's where I, John the Baptist is incredible. The humility. And there's so much more. I got to continue on. But, but I love that picture. I must decrease. He must increase. Okay, the story continues. And you get to John uh, chapter 4. And Jesus is, is at a well, and the disciples go into town and get some food, and, and, and they come back, and they're going to bring Jesus some food. But between the time they're gone, they come back. There's a woman that's at this well, and Jesus says, hey, maybe you could draw me some water. And the woman goes, I'm a Samaritan, and, and you're part of the Jewish community. We're not supposed to talk to each other. And again, you got to understand the culture of the day and all this stuff, but they weren't ones to talk to one another. What I love about Jesus, little side note, is over and over in the Gospels, and Paul does this too, the elevation of the role of females, the respectful role of women in the Bible. It's amazing that this conversation happens and it's recorded in John chapter four. And, and, and so he says, would you draw me some water? And, and let me, I'm just going to read some of it because it's so good. The Samaritan woman said to him, well, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How, how can you ask me for a drink? Like we're not supposed to talk to each other. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you, for a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She's talking about water. He's talking about water. A different conversation. I love this. Are you greater than our father Jacob? She asks him. Like, the answer is yes, but anyways. <laughs> Who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See what John did? He shares this story going back to this has everything to do with Jesus. The woman said, sir, give me this water and I won't be thirsty. I won't have to come out here and grab a gallon of it and drag it back to the city. She's talking about water. He's talking about water. He told her, go, go call your husband and come back. Well, sir, I, I don't have a husband. Indeed, you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the guy you're living with now isn't even your husband. And she's like, oh, hi. You've been reading my mail? Right? Like, the, the, she's like, wow. And, and she says, I, I, I can tell you're, you're something. You're somebody. Like you're a prophet. 
And then she says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. And there's this conversation and Jesus says, listen to me, a time is coming where it's not about Samaritans not being forbidden from worshiping here and instead worshiping there. And, and us Jews worshiping over here, there is a time coming where real worshipers will, and this is just modern day vernacular to put it in, where real worshipers will respond to the Holy Spirit and find the truth, the gospel, and will surrender to that and be who I've called them to be and surrender to what I've done or what I will do on the cross. In essence, this is the conversation that, that Jesus has. And then I love how the, the woman responds. Well, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Can you imagine standing there before Jesus? Remember, at different points, Jesus among the crowd, Jesus on trial, didn't just overtly declare who he was plainly. Here he does, to a Samaritan and to a woman. And it's a big deal. And I, I can't imagine how, how she must have been impacted. But as the story goes on, she runs into the town and says, you guys, come see somebody who told me everything about my life. Could this be the Messiah? And as they had a conversation at the end of that portion of the story, it specifically says, and a bunch of Samaritans believed. And to keep it short because of time, the last story in John chapter four is a centurion's son who's sick. And they come to Jesus and like, can you come and, and heal him? He's, he's in bad shape and this guy cares and he's a good dude and could you just heal his son? And Jesus says, your son's made well. And they go back to where this kid is and he's fine. And they go, when did that happen? About one o'clock. That's when Jesus said he would be fine. And what does John follow it with? And because of this miracle, his whole family believed. See, over and over. John says, I wrote this whole gospel when you get to chapter 20, I wrote this whole thing so that you would believe, not just in some general God, not just in some higher power, not just in, in, in this idea, that religious system, but in a God who loves humanity so much that he wants relationship with us and it's not found in good works and it's not found in a religious system and it's not found in, in all these other ways. It's found in believing in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the one who would go to the cross, die, be buried and raised from the dead, proving to be what the old covenant said was coming. That's where we find life. And that's John's point as we continue through this gospel. I don't know the conversation of where you're at today, but I'm gonna challenge every person in the room. If you walked in and you don't know where you're at with Jesus, you know, you've been forgiven or you haven't been or you've never invited him to, to be the Lord and savior of your life, the conversation is about believing. The conversation is about realizing that Jesus cares about you, that your heavenly father loves you and refused to leave you isolated and broken in your own mess. Some of you need a fresh start. Some of you need a new beginning. Some of you need to invite Jesus in today. And maybe you've done it before, maybe not. Here's what I want you to notice. Jesus in the story of the water into wine, 
the, the guy says, this is the best wine ever. It's a prophetic call back to Isaiah 25, 6, when Isaiah specifically says there's coming an eternal party where there's gonna be the best wine and the best food served. Jesus is the best wine. The story of the temple, and Jesus goes from the idea of the building of the temple to what? I am the temple. Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus about the religious system. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire old covenant religious system that we're no longer bound to because of what he did. And Jesus meets a woman at the well and she keeps talking about wanting drinks of water. And he says, I am living water. You have a savior that cares deeply about your life. And if you're here today and you want a fresh start, you're online and you want a new beginning, you, you, you hear what I'm talking about. And like I said, maybe you, you show up today, you're tuning in now going, I mean, I don't know if I'm forgiven. Some of you have the story of like, I've been in church years ago and I prayed a prayer, but man, I've been kind of doing my thing for a while. Or maybe you came today and, and maybe you heard that, maybe you haven't heard this, but you've never made it personal. Paul, the apostle says in Romans 10, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart in what God has done in Christ. And so in a moment on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you if you want a new beginning to raise your hand, if you want a fresh start to put your hand up. And after that, I'm just gonna ask you to repeat a prayer after me. I know it sounds so much like I'm a pitch man or whatever, but I believe wholeheartedly this is the best decision you could ever make. Who you marry, big decision. Career you choose, great big decision. But the most important decision is what you do with Jesus. And John would say, believe it. Believe God loves you like that. Believe that Jesus paid the price for you. And so if you want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you've never done it before and you want to take that step today or you've done it before, but you've gone your way, done your thing, but you happen to be here. I don't believe it's by coincidence today. If you want a fresh start, if you want a new beginning, if you want to invite Jesus in to be your savior and the Lord of your life on the count of three with your eyes open, raise your hand. One, two, three. Where are you at? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Keep those hands up just for a second. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 people. 23, 24. You can put your hands down. 25. Anyone else? I know it feels like all oh, the mechanical, but, but anyone else you go, man, I want forgiveness. I want a new beginning. Anyone besides the 25 that just raised their hand? 26. Anyone else? I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer with me. I, like I said, I know this feels very sort of mechanical, but it's, it's about believing in what God has done in Christ. So we're just gonna bow our heads for a minute. If you prayed this prayer in the past, pray with us. If you raise your hand today, just pray right after me. Just say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done that I could have life. You paid the price so I could be forgiven. Forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my heart. Be the savior Save me from my own mess. Be my Lord that I learn to follow you each day. Thank you for new life. Thank you for a fresh start. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give a hand to 25 people in the room that said yes to faith in Jesus? I really do believe it is the most important decision you could ever make. But let me say this real quick. 
we do have intentional steps we wanna encourage people to take. So if today you invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, we wanna encourage you to, on the connect card as you come in, the host team's handing those out, if you could either mark that on there, write it down with your info, or you can email info at grove.church, or if you're online, drop it in the chat. Um, we wanna know because we wanna help you take a couple of intentional steps. And we have those designed purposely, so we would love to help you take a couple of steps coming up. I wanna pray one more time and then we'll uh, kind of make the transition here. God, thank you for what you would do. Even as, as we all kind of walk this journey of understanding the gospel of John, my prayer, similar to how as I study the scriptures, look at these words and look at what John is doing and look at this picture and it does stir something inside of me. I pray for a great hunger among our church body together. I pray for your work, God, to do something that continues to, to alive and awaken, God, anything that's dormant, Father, sharpen us spiritually that we understand the beautiful picture of this message of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done and the passion John carries that we together would believe. Help it continue to transform us in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.